Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we're continuing our study of Ephesians, looking more closely at chapter 4. If you'd like more resources like this one, check out our resources library at thevillagechapel.com resources. Our team carefully curates a variety of articles, books, and video content. We pray these tools will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now for our study this week, here's Pastor Jim. Good day, folks. Pastor Jim Thomas from the Village Chapel here in Nashville, Tennessee, with your daily devotion. Walking through Ephesians together, and I believe our third installment here in Ephesians chapter 4. If you'll turn with me in the text or just listen, and I'll read it to us. Uh, We're going to read from verse 7 through verse 16 today. It's all about growing in Christ. It's it's as if Paul is saying to everybody, grow up in Christ. And I think that, you know, all of us can probably think of somebody who we think is somewhat stunted in their emotional growth or their maturity or whatever. And um, uh, this is Paul's kind and gentle way of saying to each of us, hey, we're being called to move on, move deeper and grow up in Christ. Verses one through three, we already uh, set that up as sort of the on-ramp to the our unity in Christ. And it, it uh, laid out those five things, those five sort of dispositions of heart that, that precede uh, our being united in Christ. Uh, uh, the five dispositions were humility. Um, they were uh, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. And this is really God's plan for a new society. It's a, gr- a group of people who think and thrive because they're, uh, they think differently and they thrive differently because their values are different and they operate differently. So humility, uh, gentleness, uh, patience, forbearance and love. Boy, you see a a group of people walking in those five virtues, and that's an attractive society of persons. And that describes the new society that Jesus is turning us into. Verses four, uh, five, and six that we looked at in our last episode um, were the, the seven ones, I think I called them, the theological markers or the theological signs of our unity. And they were one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then he rolls right from those theological realities of our unity in Christ into this, verse seven. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I love it whenever he says according to. You got to ask yourself, according to what? In other words, grace was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And see, that starts to help us understand the next two or three verses because they sound a little mysterious in the context of all of this. But when you remember that verse 8, and 9 and 10 really are sort of springing right off of that accord, that this grace that was given, and it was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. How big was Christ's gift? This is how big Christ's gift was. Therefore, it says, and he quotes from Psalm 68, when he, this I think is a reference, this uh, Paul is, is connecting Psalm 68 to Jesus. When he ascended on high, 
He led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What is that about? Sounds kind of strange. Sounds like it doesn't fit in here unless, like I said, you interpret verse 8, 9, and 10 in light of verse 7, where he says, all of this grace has been lavished upon us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I think verse 7, 8, and 9 are the description of Christ's gift. He left the comforts of heaven. He descended to earth. He laid down his life on the cross for us, and then he descended into hell, as the Apostles' Creed uh, summarizes it for us in that one little phrase. And then he literally grabbed the keys, kicked in the doors down there, and and broke the power of death itself, and and set the captives free. And then, of course, we know he stopped uh, as as the resurrected Lord. He stopped here for uh, a number of days and walked the planet to to show that he indeed had risen again from the grave and to uh, to to preach and explain a lot of things to his disciples. But then he ascended back into the heavenly realm. And right after he made a promise that he was going to return again and set all things right. So when we think about what is the measure of Christ's gift and how much grace has been given to us, just look at what he all he did to save you and to save me. That's amazing grace that he would even leave the comforts of heaven, the heavenly realm. Why, why would he even do that and become, you know, stuff himself into a human body, into a human life? Why would he condescend to do that? Except for the fact that he loves us. That's what the New Testament tells us. He loved us that much, that he came on a rescue mission for a sinner like me and a sinner like you. And I think when you connect verse 7 and, and to verses 8, 9, and 10 and interpret 8, 9, and 10 in view of that unmeasurable, lavishment of grace from Christ and what he's done for us, it starts to make a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, verse 11 describes his provision to the church. That is, he provides some things to the church to help us grow. It says this in verse 11, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And some of you are familiar with this verse. And some of you maybe have been in a church where you you use, you know, somebody will use one of those kinds of titles. Uh, you may also be familiar with Romans chapter 12 and the list of gifts that are there. The uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, the list of gifts that are there. And you can overlay the list gifts or the gifts of lists if you'd like to. Uh, from Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And here, these are kind of offices, uh, some would say, uh, but also gifts, very clearly called gifts here. And they are for a purpose. So here's the provision. That's God's initiative. He's providing these things. And what is it that they are good for? What what is the, the purpose of these gifts? And we do see that, don't we, in verse 12. It's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So they're not just to become part of some kind of a sideshow. They're not just about trying to, 
um, you know, show off supernaturally or anything like. No, they're actually, they've got the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of service, not equipping the saints to go out and do side. Like I say, not going out to have a little spiritual circus going. No, it's for the work of service that we might do what Jesus did. He came and he laid down his life for those he loved. Mm. How can we join Jesus in the mission that he has going on in this world? Not by drawing attention to ourselves for the use of the more sensational gifts. No, but by laying down our lives in works of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So the provision is all of these gifts. There are many and varied. And we don't need to camp out on one particular one and give undue attention to that. I think that might lead us actually um, to, to some kinds of, of uh, mischief and perhaps a little bit of uh, presumptive thinking. Um, I think it's good for us to not do that. But I do think it's important to know that the gifts are manifold, varied, if you will, and they're for the purpose of building up the body of Christ for the work of service. And then there's the goal, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. There it is again, the unity of the faith, the unity in the spirit of Christ that we can have together as we serve uh, each other and as we even join God in his mission in this world. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's that we attain to the knowledge of the, of the Son of God. That is that we know Christ, that we know him, not only about him, but we know him more and more. And then he says, to a mature man. The whole idea is that the body of Christ is growing up to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And the measure of the stature is that we just keep growing and growing and growing and growing that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And that just means it continues on and on and on. And it's an ongoing process. Sometimes I get impatient with that. Not only within myself, but I probably get more impatient with it within others. Maybe you do too, you know. But it's important for us to know that that's going to be an ongoing thing, that it looks like a wide variety of things, and that it's always about serving, not about you know, gathering applause for myself or acclaim for myself. Um, verses 14 through 16, you know, if, if verse 11 is about God's provision for the church to grow up, if, if, uh, if verse 12 is about the purpose that God would, would like us to grow up in, that we would, we would equip the saints along the way, that we would, for the work of service, that we'd be building up the body of Christ. If verse 13 is about the goal that we would attain to the unity of faith and, and the knowledge of Jesus. Here's the vision. In other words, what results does God hope to see as the church, his church, grows up in Christ? Well, here it is, verse 14 through 16. As a result, what results, Right? We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So the idea there is that we wouldn't be battered about by the wind that tosses us around and all of these kind of novelty theologies that come along. And you, you and I can, we can probably all think of some movements supposedly within the church that have really just been sort of novelty movements. 
They haven't really lasted. They haven't resulted in fruit of the Spirit. They've been more about sort of making a big splash and flash and called attention to either just one person or to one specific event or something. But he says, as a result, we're no longer to be children that are sort of wowed by that kind of stuff, tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by waves, but or by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. See, that's that's right there. When you read that kind of thing, you can just, all you have to do is think about the clever manipulators, the cult leaders that have come along and deceived many people into doing all kinds of things that weren't biblical, that didn't glorify Christ, that weren't for the building up of the body of Christ. And then verse 15, he says, again, what results do you have to see? But there's a pivot here. Here's what the results are he hopes to see. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. All right, there it is. Speaking the truth in love. I know there's a lot of people that speak the truth, but they don't speak the truth in love. And I know there's a lot of people that reduce spirituality and even Christianity that try to reduce the gospel to merely love. And by that, they just mean a warm, fuzzy feeling spelled with not four letters, but three, L-U-V. And L-U-V is not L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E is much deeper, much richer, much more self-sacrificing than the kind of uh, trivial kind of uh, L-U-V love that is out in our world today. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Hold those two together, love, truth and love. Uh, they're two sides of the same coin. And that's how we get to maturity as we hold those two together. And he says in verse 15, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who's the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. That is, each and every part of the body of Christ is contributing its gift that the, that the Lord has equipped it with. Um, according to the proper working of each individual part, he says, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Amen. All right, that's cool. That's what I love about the Village Chapel. I got to be honest. And I, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm pastorally proud if there's a, a way to be properly proud, I'm pastorally proud of the love of God uh, that I see at work and in and amongst the people here at the Village Chapel. Um, and increasingly, you can probably think of a church where you see uh, that the love of God is in motion, the grace of God is in motion. People are um, uh, reconciling in their relationships and learning to walk and grow together in the love of Christ for the glory of God. That's a church that is on the grow. Um, that old sage Warren Wearsby, um, I got to hear him uh, speak a couple of different times and certainly have read some of his books. I love what he says about this. Uh, and this is something, th this quote is from later in his life when he's an older man like myself. He said, I want to keep growing, even though the older I get, the more difficult it becomes. Why? Because there is no growth without challenge and there is no challenge without change. When I was younger, change was a treat. Now it tends to become a threat, but I need change. Not novelty, but change. The kind of experiences that force me to dig deeper and lay hold of that kingdom which cannot be shaken. There is no time to waste on scaffolding. I must build on essentials, not accidentals. 
Oh, that was so, so beautiful, so well said. And I hope that we, uh, I hope that we're doing that at the Village Chapel here. That's what we want to do. Um, the essentials of the faith. And um, we, just a couple of days ago, I think I quoted the Rupertus Meldinius quote, in the essentials, unity. Those, those, those are their core beliefs of the Christian faith, articulated here by Paul in this chapter, in those seven ones that we found in verses four, five, and six. Those are essentials, right? And Rupertus Maldinius goes on to say, though, in the non-essentials, liberty. So how much water you use to baptize? What color the carpet is in the church? Um, you know, the, 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 the role of certain individuals in the administering the sacraments, those sorts of things. Those are some of the non-essentials. Those are some of the things that various churches will do in a variety of different ways. And in the uh, in all things, Rupertus Maldinius said charity or love. So in the essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, in, the, in all things, charity. So that we grow up in the love of Christ. Michael Horton um, uh, is a theologian who just writes some really great books. I encourage you to read anything you get hold of that Michael Horton has written. He says, growing in the grace, knowledge, and obedience of Christ is the result of being united to Christ himself, his person, and his work. And folks, this is his church, not just the village chapel, but the church worldwide. If we, if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to be follower, followers of Jesus, we belong to him uh, first and foremost. And it's living out our lives in union with Christ together where we start to really see the church mature and grow up and have the kind of witness in this world um, that will draw people to its warm campfire, which is indeed uh, um, the light of the world, Jesus himself being reflected by the little lights of the world that we are as his followers. Uh, he called his, he's the light of the world, but he calls his disciples as well to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Um, he said, you're the lights of the world. We're like salt in the earth as well, hopefully making people thirsty or enhancing the food that we're offering, uh, the food of the gospel, if you will, that we're offering to others. What part might you play? What part might I play in the body of Christ? What role would God have us play today, actually, as parts of the, as members of the body of Christ. Let's pray that the Lord would open our eyes to see that and uh, that he would grant us the faith and courage uh, to, to do what he calls us to do. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. I thank you for the gifts you've given to us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would forever be placing ourselves before you, that you might use us in any way that you see fit. Um, Lord, help us not to paint ourselves into one corner or the other. Help us not to glorify any one individual, but simply to glorify Jesus and make our lives available, return our lives to you. You, the one who gave us our life in the first place. And then you gave it to us again when we were born again. Lord, we return our lives to you now. We pray, Lord, use us as you see fit for the glory of Jesus and for the good of the church and to join you in the mission you have for us in this world. Pray this in Christ's beautiful name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's word is unique in its source. 
timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.